The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus began to teach his disciples that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciple, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves pick up their cross, and follow me. Rightly understood, it's hard to think of words that are more at the heart of the life-giving message of the gospel. It's also hard to think of words from the gospel that are more lethal, if wrongly understood. Consider the cluster of some of the meanings around the word deny. In sports, it refers to what a defender does to keep the ball away or the puck away from the offensive player that she's covering. In international travel, it's what the consulate does to your visa application. In the law, it's what happens when a judge rejects a motion or when a bank keeps you from getting a mortgage. In 12-step talk, it means to refuse to see the plain truth that is right before you, to deny. It's what Peter does to Jesus three times. Or consider the cluster of implications around the phrase, picking up your cross. Choose misery. Glorify suffering. It's a kind of morbid, passive acceptance of a painful status quo. We all have our cross to bear. Just quit whining and get on with it. It's hard to imagine these words getting a fair hearing in our culture, obsessed as it is with individual rights, self-fulfillment, the avoidance of pain and self-reflection. But clearly these were hard words even 2,000 years ago for the disciples who heard them. They who were primed for a Messiah who would be kind of a warrior king to come and liberate 
the Jewish people from the grip of their oppressors. And instead, after Jesus had gotten their attention with healings and exorcisms and displays of compassion, he begins to teach them how things were really going to be. Where is the good news in this? How can denying oneself be good news? Well, there are some obvious examples of this. It might be good to deny oneself excessive trips to Dunkin' Donuts if one wants to maintain a healthy weight. Or if you want to make the honor roll, kids, it's good to deny yourself excessive time texting or using Facebook. Countless parents, both in this church and elsewhere, have denied themselves all kinds of things to make sure that their children have the best chance for success. These are some of the more obvious ways it might be good to deny oneself. But there are more subtle ways, I think, also, that denying oneself is life-giving. We might choose to deny ourselves the luxury of self-pity. We might choose to deny ourselves the practice of wallowing in past mistakes. We can choose to deny ourselves the toxin of indulging in self-hatred. I've read that another way to see the life-giving side of self-denial is to conceive of it as the recognition of the fact that we are not self-sufficient. Despite our best efforts, we do not get on in this world on our own. The psalmist knew that. Again and again, the psalms give glory to God for remembering the humble and meek and saving them, saving those who know their own weakness and who trust in the Lord. This is the life-giving self-denial that Jesus points us toward. Picking up our cross. Rightly understood, Picking up our cross is not a solitary pursuit. In the Roman world, crucifixion for Christians was the result of their very membership in a despised group. Christians were crucified because they belonged to a group. They were not alone. But in an affluent part of the world such as our own, we place a premium on keeping our cross bearing private. Quiet, personal, alone. We have many ways we can ease the pain of our crosses without resorting to sharing them. But the cross bearing that Jesus invites us to is not meant to be a private act. It may feel lonely, but in fact, we're not alone for Jesus himself has done it and is acquainted with it. We are not alone. In 12-step programs, the cross of addiction is picked up together. It may be painful, this kind of cross-bearing that Jesus invites us to, but it leads to wholeness, to the preservation of and building up of integrity, of integration, of oneness. We may see that cross and experience that cross in the initial 
shame of seeking help to leave an abusive relationship. We may experience that cross in a chronic disability or in a painful family situation or in the memory of a tragic mistake that we made that we wish we could undo. We may see that cross in a shameful or tragic family history that we can't escape. But to pick up your cross means to face it, to accept it, and to know that the one who calls you to carry it, carries it with you. We are not alone. Carrying our cross in that way, in that wise, is to, to walk in the healing footsteps of the healing Christ who leads us to life. Christianity knows nothing of solitary cross-bearing. Jesus alone carried it alone. We are not asked to. And somehow, mysteriously, this kind of cross-bearing leads to life. I offer here to end a story told by William Willimon. Some of you may know that name from your reading. He is currently a Methodist bishop in, the, uh, in Alabama. He was formerly chaplain at Duke University and a professor in their divinity school there and a parish minister with lots of experience in a parish. And he describes an experience he had some two decades ago in a hospital where he was with a physician and a family making a difficult decision. So I'm going to describe the story to you. The doctor spared few words. This is Willimon telling the story. The doctor spared few words. Your baby is afflicted with Down syndrome. I had expected this, but things were too far along before I could say for sure. Well, is the baby healthy? The mother asked. Well, that's what I wanted to discuss with you, the doctor said. The baby is healthy, except for the problem. However, it does have a slight, rather common respiratory ailment. My advice is that you let me take it off the respirator. That might solve things. At least it's a possibility. Well, it's not a possibility for us, the parents said. I know how you feel, responded the doctor. But you need to think about what you're doing. You already have two beautiful kids. Statistics show that people who keep these babies risk a higher incidence of marital stress and family problems. Is it fair to do this to the children you had already? Is it right to bring this suffering into your family? At the mention of suffering, I saw her face brighten, as if the doctor were finally making sense. Suffering, she said quietly. We appreciate your concern, but we are Christians. God suffered for us, and we will try to suffer for the baby, if we must. Pastor, I hope you can do something with them, the doctor whispered to me outside their door as he continued his rounds. 
Two days later, the doctor and I watched the couple leave the hospital. They walked slowly, carrying a small bundle. But it seemed a heavy burden to us, a weight on their shoulders. We felt as if we could hear them dragging, clanking it down the front steps of the hospital, moving slowly but deliberately into a cold, gray March morning. It will be too much for them, the doctor said. You ought to have talked them out of it. You should have helped them to understand. But as they left, I noticed a curious look on their faces. They looked as if the burden were not too heavy at all, as if it were a privilege and a sign. They seemed borne up as if on another's shoulders, being carried towards some high place the doctor and I would not be going, following a way we did not understand. That's the story. May we be given the grace to understand the life, the life that mysteriously flows from being carried, from being carried as we carry our crosses. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, pick up their cross and follow me. And they will gain their lives. Amen.